good morning, good afternoon, good night, uh, wherever you happen to be right now. Hello. It's great to see you and be with you. Um, our sermon today that uh, we'll be going through is from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. And so if you haven't read that yet, go ahead and pause the video and read the beginning of John 17, just the first five verses. Um, once you have read it, let's, uh, let's begin. Uh, you actually may notice at the end of John 16, um, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, take heart or take courage. I have overcome the world. Uh, and then he begins this prayer. You know, the, this prayer is actually known as the high priestly prayer. It, uh, John 17 is a, is a whole chapter where Jesus is praying for the believers. Jesus is praying for his disciples and then those who would become his followers, which is us, right? It's you and me. It's, it's for the church. Um, it's for those who have gone before us, but also for us now. Uh, this prayer is sort of Jesus's heart for us. And he starts it. Well, sometimes though, you know, what's interesting to me anyways, is whenever I read this, I sometimes forget, and maybe you don't, but for me, I always sort of think, oh, man, I, I sometimes forget that Jesus prayed, right? Like even with the Lord's prayer, you know, our father who art in heaven, he was telling the disciples how to pray. But I sometimes forget that Jesus prayed somewhere, maybe in the back of my mind, or I just sort of think that, well, he was God. He didn't have to pray, right? Um, and what's amazing to me is I like stopping whenever I am reminded of these times and sort of thinking, you know, that Jesus was a man, that Jesus did set an example for us in how he lived and how he spoke and how he cared for others, but that even Jesus uh, amazingly set aside time to pray. Uh, how vital is it? Even when we're just reading scripture, it's one verse that Jesus then goes to pray in, in John 17, 1, but that even Jesus set aside time to pray. It's just a great reminder. It's a great reminder of Jesus' humanity that I'm sure he was very busy. I'm sure he had lots going on, and yet here he is stopping to pray. And so this begins the, the prayer in John 17, the high priestly prayer that we'll focus on now. And then next week with Andy and I, both of our messages will be on John 17, which is Palm Sunday. It's, it's hard to believe Palm Sunday is already next week. So he starts in verse 1, and he says, basically, glorify your son, God that your son may glorify you. Um, and he actually even says that now is the time. It is the time. The hour has come, he says. Which is interesting because many, many times before that, earlier in John, he's told people that the time has not yet come. In John chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 7, verse 8, chapter 7, verse 30, and then again in chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus says to people, the hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And yet here he's finally saying, in prayer to God, the time's come. The time for what? Well, we know, and I think he had some idea. It was the time for him to give his life. We know it is the time he voluntarily, willingly went to the cross. You know, it, it's funny because Jesus just said glory, right? Glorify your son, as, as, so that I can bring glory to you, God, and yet he's talking about going to his death. This is, it seems like they don't go together. It's an odd thought for us because here today in our life, we define glory in a certain way. We define glory as fame, prestige, power, accomplishing a task, 
Maybe dying, but dying as a hero, right? Dying so that one day there'll be a statue. Dying so that, you know, you've, you've died for some great cause. Maybe that can be glory. But, but Jesus didn't fight. In fact, as if you continue on in the passage in John, he gives himself willingly, right? He didn't resist. He gave himself over to the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. And on the cross, we know this, he even prays for those who were killing him. I mean, to us, that's not glory. How, how can Jesus say, the time has come to glorify you, God, and then willingly go to such death? Well, church, I have good news and bad news on this one. And they're both the same. <laughs> that glory in a life in Jesus Christ is not always what we think. It's not war movie glory. It's not fame and prestige glory. It's humiliation glory. <laughs> Jesus' glory is upside-down glory. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Think about that. Jesus called what we consider foolishness and humiliation. Jesus considered that glory. And he goes on then in chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, to talk about what eternal life is, what this glory means for you and for I. The, the knowledge of the Father through Jesus is what eternal life is, is how we know that we have eternal life, that you and I would know Jesus. And when we know Jesus, as Jesus told his disciples, that we would also know the one who sent him, that we would know the Father. And not just know who the Father is, but know the Father intimately and deeply. And this is why so many people get this wrong. This is why so many people think that, you know, they can just be a fan of Jesus, that maybe Jesus can just be one option of many, one of their spiritual leaders they follow. And that's just not the case. Jesus says here that we can't just be fans of him. That if we are a fan of Jesus, then it is because we are a fan of the Father who sent him. And our God says that he is the only God. Our Old Testament lesson from Exodus talks about bowing down before the golden calf in Exodus with Moses and the Israelites when they left Egypt. And God got really upset with them for doing this, right? Some people are tempted to do this and make Jesus one of many that they worship or one of their many spiritual influences in their life. Jesus said, no, if you know me and believe in me, then you're on the same team as God the Father. This is why if you go back to John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. Because Jesus' goal was to love, was to care, was to do all of these things, but the big umbrella was that he would bring Israel back to God, that he would bring you and I as Gentiles to the righteousness of God. This was Jesus's goal, not to start a new religion, not to, you know, create a bunch of followers, not to fight the Roman authorities, but to lay his life down that you and I would have a path to God. This was his entire goal. He didn't seek glory to self. He didn't seek, as I said, people to follow him for a rebellion. He didn't seek glory through accomplishments. He didn't seek glory through power and control. He sought glory 
through death, through submission, through service. And so then he says in verse 4 and 5, Father, glorify me. He also says that he would be brought back into the presence of God with the same glory he had since before the world began. And this is a really cool little detail I want to point out. You know, we often lift up Jesus for his life, and rightly so. He loved the unlovable, he healed the sick, he did great miracles. But one of the things we sometimes forget about him was what he gave up to be with us. You know, Jesus, we know what we believe is that he was not only born of the Virgin Mary, but that before that he existed with God since forever. And so he knew what it was like to be in communion with God. Now, now think about how hard it must have been for him to give that up and walk the earth with us. You know, there's only three people who have ever walked the earth who know what that was like. Since the beginning of creation, three people knew what it was like to be in perfect communion with God, perfect harmony with God. Adam and Eve, at the very beginning of all things, were living in perfect communion with God, and then they sinned, and then they ruined it, and, and we know the story. But Jesus had also been in perfect communion with God, but then gave that up willingly, gave that up willingly to come and live with us. Even though he didn't sin like Adam and Eve, even though he didn't ruin it, he willingly gives that up so that we would have an avenue to know how good that is. Think about that. He cherished communion with God the Father so much that he gave his communion up, his fellowship with God up, to walk this earth, to live among us, to show us the way, and then provide a path that we would have the same thing he had. He showed us how to live, how to die, so that you and I can be with God. That's how much God loved the world. We always talk about John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's how much he loved the world. That Jesus broke off that perfect relationship with God the Father to show us how we could have it. And now, Jesus is going to God in prayer and asking God to get back there. Jesus is sort of saying, hey, I've done what you sent me to do. I've done everything I set out to do, and now it's time for me to come home. Now he wants to show us the road to get back there. So what is Jesus teaching? What is Jesus teaching you and I here? Um, there's a couple of things. But first, I just want to address this. When we talk about glory, it's as I said, it's not exactly how the world defines it, right? Um, it's a little different when we talk about laying our lives down. And, and some of you, when you think about this, the sacrifice Jesus made for you are very touched or very moved, rightly so. It can almost feel overwhelming, right? Our immediate response is, it's like when someone does something nice for you. What can I do about it? How can I return the favor, right? And that's a kind thing to do. If someone has you over to their home, you want to have them over to your home. If someone does something nice for you, gets you a gift, you want to make sure to remember them on their birthday and get them a gift. That's fine. But I just want to make this really clear. <laughs> that when we feel moved with Christ's sacrifice for us, when we feel touched by Christ's sacrifice for us, um, we cannot return the favor. We just can't. <laughs> And it may seem weird for me to say that because we want to live a good life and we want to do good things. But the reality is, church, is we cannot repay Christ. We can't. 
And we all need to hear it. And I'll say it one more time that we cannot repay Christ. He finished the work needed to bring about our redemption. It's done. And what a beautiful thought that is. Not only did Christ give up communion and and, and relationship, that perfect relationship with God, to live and walk on earth, where he was tempted by sin and walked among us just, just like you and I do, but then when he goes back through death on the cross and through his resurrection and ascension, he then shows us the way that we can have the same thing. He finished the work needed for you and I to be redeemed, needed for you and I to be restored to God. And then says, you and I can have this same glory he's asking God for. You and I, when we believe, can have the same eternal life and eventually the same glory, the same glorious relationship with God the Father. (laughs) What a beautiful thought that is. And we're tempted to say, yes, give it to me now. Give me that life now. Give me that redemption now. But we know it's not so easy to enjoy, right? If we cling too much to the future, we forget about what's happening in the here and now. If we think too much about the afterlife or about heaven or about being with God, we we neglect responsibilities here and now. We get overwhelmed. We know that the Christian life is just not so easy to enjoy. There's a lot of stuff going on in life. Obviously, this season is another one of those things. There's fear, there's uncertainty, there's evil and suffering. I mean, there are people around the world who are suffering more and more. Currently, as of today, um, with this whole coronavirus crisis, Italy and and Spain, I think, are surpassing China um, in deaths or will soon. And it's just a lot of uncertainty. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in in, in places around the world where they don't have the infrastructure to care for people? What's going to happen next month, this summer, later this year? We just don't know. And so we want to cling to this promise, but it's difficult. We want to trust that God is going to give us glory one day, but what does that mean for us now? You know, just as Jesus was facing uncertainty and fear the night before he gave himself up to the cross, We often face fear and uncertainty in our own lives. So what can we do? I just want to point out these two things that Jesus did as an encouragement to you and even for myself today. The two things Jesus did when he started this priestly prayer in in John 17 was that he prayed and that he had hope. Jesus went to God in prayer and he clung to the hope of glory that would be coming. In, in, in chapter 16, just before our reading, Jesus says to his disciples that they don't receive anything because they're not asking. And so he encourages them to ask God. And then in chapter 17, he begins to show them the example of what that looks like. He goes to God in prayer asking for what he desires to be back in the presence of God. You know, if you um, are familiar with the story of the transfiguration before Jesus got to Jerusalem, before the story of Palm Sunday and everything, that he went up on the mountain and was in the presence of God again. You know, I think that God gave him that experience, that gave him that time that we call the transfiguration to encourage him and to remind him that what he was going to go through was going to be very difficult, but that it was worth it. You know, God does similar things for you and I. God gives us glimpses when things are difficult. God gives us experiences along the way when things are difficult to to show us what the goodness is. 
Maybe it's a, a personal retreat you've had. Maybe it's a time studying. Maybe it's a time reading scripture where you felt the presence of God. Maybe it's time just fellowshipping with friends. I don't know. Maybe it's on a mountaintop after a big hike and you feel the grandeur of God. I don't know. God gives us these things along the way so that when things get difficult, we can do what Jesus did here. We can go to God in prayer. We can go to God in prayer and have the hope of the promises that God will fulfill. And notice Jesus' posture, actually. This is really cool. Um, Christ actually shows us how we can pray. It says in verse 1 that he looks towards heaven and prays. So we'll just assume that that's up because an ancient understanding was sort of upward as we still sort of think of heaven. So imagine that. We, this goes against years of Sunday school teaching, right? Close your hand, or you know, put your hands together, bow your, or bow your head, close your eyes, and pray. But what Jesus does, he looks up and he looks to heaven and prays. Now I'm just kidding about the Sunday school thing. Sometimes it's good to close our hands and bow our heads to pray so we don't get distracted. But what's interesting here is we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, Psalm 28, verse 2 says this. The psalmist cries out, Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. As I lift my hands toward your most holy place, the psalmist cries out to God. This is kind of cool. So when we talk about prayer, I just want to remind you, it's not always like this. Sometimes it's with our hands raised. Sometimes it's, it can be with our fists clenched. Right? Sometimes you're upset and that's okay. And you can pray with your fists clenched and just be upset sometimes. Sometimes maybe you bow down because you feel so humbled by the presence of God. Sometimes, you know, you can even put your hands out like this, like a posture of receiving. And as you pray, ask God to give you something, whatever it is you're desiring, to hear from him, comfort, love, whatever it is. There's all sorts of things we can do when we pray, right? You can pray while sitting, you can pray while standing, you can have open hands, you can have closed hands, you can even pray while driving. But please keep your eyes open if you're praying while driving. Church, it doesn't matter how we pray. What matters is that we are praying. What matters is, is that we are setting aside. Like I said, remember that Jesus had to set aside time to pray. The one who defined what glory is set aside time to submit himself to God in prayer that he would receive what he needed from God to continue. How in the world do we think we can continue if we are not setting aside time to pray and we're not praying with all of us. Now, whether that's receiving, whether that's praising, whether that, whatever it is, how in the world do we think we can continue without praying? And in his prayer, Jesus received strength and, and, and re renewed faith to complete the work of salvation for you and for me. And so the first thing Jesus shows us is that we need to be people who are praying. And the second thing he shows us with this prayer is that we need to be praying also for the hope of glory that is coming. The road Jesus took will be our road. It will be suffering. It will be giving ourselves up for the sake of other people. It will not be fighting. It will not be creating a rebellion. It will be laying our lives down for others. And the world, as Paul said in Corinthians, will see this as absolute foolishness. But for us, we know it's salvation. Because this is the road our Jesus walked. 
And so along the way, we pray for strength. We pray for wisdom. We pray for the ability to lay our lives down, that we would have glory, not worldly glory, but the Jesus glory, the upside down glory. And the way we can have hope is that we know the work is finished. We can't repay Christ. We can't earn it. Christ did this and said, here's the road to God. Here's the road to righteousness. Here's the road to restoration. And for us to align ourselves with Jesus is to say yes, to trust and to rely on God through prayer and other things because we have received the hope of glory the same way Jesus did. Because we know we too will be glorified. Let us never forget, church, that the work is done. For you and for me, glory is waiting. Not worldly glory. Upside down glory. We may lose everything. We have no idea what's going to happen. Today, tomorrow, 50 years from now, whatever. We may lose everything. But then again, so did Christ. And so we cling to that. We cling to prayer. And we cling to the hope of glory that he has promised us. Amen? Amen.